Okay, we're on. Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to the Social Innovation Podcast. Today should be awesome again. Today I'm joined by Louis Arban Bartard Dupre. He's going to make fun <laughs> of my accent. He's already laughing. I can feel it. <laughs> Louis Alban is a food waste fighter and the founder of Yindi. And I was going to say that Yindi has two eyes, but actually, if you look at it, it's three. Anyway, Louis, how are you doing today? Very well. Thank you very much for having me, Michael. I feel like I made you laugh so we can actually hang up now because I accomplished what I wanted to do. <laughs> it's good to have you here as well. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background for some context? Of course. So um, I'm French. Um, I'm, I was born in Paris. Uh, my, my father was um, a diplomat, so I spent a lot of uh, part of my life um, in other countries, uh, especially in Africa. Um, and I study and uh, grew up in, in Paris uh, when I did um, uh, a business school. And after a few uh, unsuccessful uh, experiences with big companies uh, like L'Oreal, I decided to, uh, to jump on the startup world. Um, and I've started uh, expanding a smart city company, a French one. Uh, it was really fun for about uh, seven years. Um, they were doing um, QR codes at the bus stop. Uh, it was very nice. It was like IoT and smart city at the same time. Uh, where you could scan the QR code and get bus schedule. So very, very useful services for the city, a way to cut costs on putting screens everywhere. Um, and this was before the iPhone, like this started before the iPhone. So it was like no apps world. Um, it was really fun. Um, I developed the company in, uh, in Spain and Portugal, um, then to Latin America. And then we raised um, a Serie A of $15 million and we uh, set up in New York. So it was very, uh, it was kind of a great experience. Not so many French company actually cross the Atlantic. Um, so uh, moved back to, I uh, moved to New York. Very, very exciting. Um, I really, really enjoyed that, that city. Um, so it was very, very nice. Uh, seven years uh, we've signed, I've signed what the most uh, important cities in my country. So it was really exciting. Barcelona, uh, Madrid, uh, Rio de Janeiro, uh, New York City, Austin, Las Vegas. Uh, very, very uh, great experience. And after seven years, um, I was kind of asking myself uh, if I was happy in my life, in my job. So with my wife, we actually decided to quit our job uh, and travel for one year. Um, so I've, I've been a nomad and, uh, and, and that was something I, uh, I was uh, looking for uh, to do for a while. So we traveled for one year. Uh, little thing is we didn't want to travel as tourists. So we uh, actually uh, did uh, build a, a non-for-profit company um, helping small hotels um, that were not good on the digital side to uh, help them actually get more efficient, make more revenues on uh, tools like booking.com in exchange of just sleeping for free there. So it was a social innovation at the time was social service, but it was an amazing way for uh, me and my wife to like travel for free, uh, meet local people, be helpful. Uh, and that really, really changed my, uh, my mind and what I wanted to do in the future. So I really wanted to kind of work in some in, in, in initiative that have a local impact. So that really changed my mind. And the second thing that changed my mind during this world tour was uh, I started to do meditation and we spent a week in a uh, meditation Buddhist center in uh, Myanmar 
And after a few days, I, I kind of had a revelation that I didn't want to work for, you know, software company that was just there for money or uh, just for uh, expanding. That's what I was kind of doing in the first place. Uh, and I wanted to do social innovation. So I, it really struck me. So after our world tour, we decided to set up in Thailand. Uh, at the beginning, obviously, we needed a job. So I started to um, take the Southeast Asia region of Wind. Uh, it's a software company for supermarkets. They were trying to start a, a revolution as well, uh, more in the way that people use online and uh, physical tools to purchase. But after after six months, like COVID hit, and well, I decided to, to, to quit this company and maybe start doing something of my own. I want to ask you a few things about this. So this QR company that you said you started in Paris and then, frankly, feels like expanded to the rest of the world. You said Rio, Barcelona, Madrid. Did you also say Austin, Texas? And then you were in New York as well. Did I get that right? Exactly, yes. That's amazing. Did you start this company yourself? No, actually, no, no, no. Um, it was founded by a woman called Laetitia Gazelle-Antoine, a French woman. Um, and I was the first hiree for international expansion. So I actually started and 10 days after I was in Spain. <laughs> what was the name of the company? Uh, Connect Things. It's a cool name, right? Yeah, it's a super cool name. <laughs> IoT uh, and, and Smart City. And they were literally like giving me um, a, a product that was like working in, in, in France. Uh, they had like some references with some cities. Right. Uh, and I, I thought it was really cool. Uh, I was like, yeah, I take the bus. So I, I'd love to have that type of service. And I took the thing. I, I like, to be honest, I hope she's not listening. But I didn't really speak Spanish at the time. But <laughs> did you tell her you did though? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, <laughs> no, so I, I, so I did study, you know, I did study, but it's like, you know, uh, between studying and being able to sell a product, different, it was yeah. kind of a, a different world. <laughs> but I was like, so wanting to do something abroad um, that I was like, yeah, Spain, let's do it. How old uh, were you at the time? I was 24, yeah, something so like that. It's like, at a, as a 24 year old, you can definitely take that risk. You're willing to say, I can do that. And then figure yes. it out as you go along, right? Exactly. And, and I was literally alone, like I had no office because, yeah, let's it. do it. And yeah, and it worked like, amazingly like uh, i signed uh, after one year i signed a million dollar contract deal <laughs> it was amazing it must have seemed like magic back then for somebody with not a smartphone right but like a flip phone or some kind of just like a yeah. decent phone to walk over to a bus station scan a qr code and get the schedule it must have seemed like magic right yeah 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 and we were also working with like nfc tags right um, so RFID, you were touching, just touching with your mobile and pop, you had the schedule. So it was, it was literally magical. Uh, so it had this wow effect. And after a few years, then I started to realize that it was actually selling something that people don't really need, you know, because, um, it was a boom of apps. And so everybody was on, on, on Google maps and, uh, and other like transport apps. So the, 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 the QR code still add is value of. Uh, of being there and being accessible physically for people that, uh, yeah. But we were, I was kind of switching to selling something that was nice to have, but people don't, didn't really need it. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of, um, like, you know, you do something, but your friends like, hey, yeah, I've seen it, but I don't use it. I have a Google map <laughs> and, and we're keeping on doing that and keeping on selling and, and, and trying to, to convince, uh, cities to do it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, maybe it's, uh, that, that's also why I think I got bored. Yeah, maybe the time had passed it by, right? Exactly. Yeah. 
too, though. So you said you and your wife both gave up your jobs and said we're going to travel for a year, which is obviously a killer thing to do. And as your dad was a diplomat, you were probably, and I don't know what your wife's family was doing, but that travel thing was not new for you, right? Lived in multiple countries, lived in places where it wasn't Paris. So, But this idea of going to a hotel and providing them services and then letting them, letting you stay there for free, like, what was that conversation like? Because it's very entrepreneurial, right? In a way that's not normal. Normally you walk in and go, maybe you ask for a discount, but you don't say, I'll do your tech for you for a month if you let me stay here for free. <laughs> like, how does that work? I mean, it was um, it was an interesting uh, story, but uh, my wife used to work for booking.com. So, and, and I was like really good at marketing, make video, I was good at pictures. Um, and so they were like, yeah, but in, in like in Southeast Asia, you don't realize like how people are like not good at uh, everything that is online. People usually are really good at handling an hotel or a small guest house. So they have nice house. But when you look at the picture, it's terrible. And at the beginning, she was like, yeah, we can look at the ones that are very bad pictures. And usually is the one that have less reservation. And so we can get better deals. So that's how the conversation started. Got it. And then we were like, okay, we want to do something useful. So why don't we try to find them? So we were finding them through booking.com and we're like, okay, those guys, amazing place, very nice review, but pictures are terrible. So what it means, it means that they have uh, a difficulty understanding the, this tool that is given to them. It was kind of magical. The first one we called them. So we're in India and uh, we were with friends in Mumbai. We just arrived in, in India for like a week. And we find one in Udaipur, uh, terrible pictures, but literally awful, maybe $3 a night or something like that. And we actually give him a call and say, hey, we are, we're trying to help hotels. Like, like if we had experiences, we've done it like a hundred times. <laughs> Not just we're two random travelers with a camera. Exactly. And the guy said, I think you come from uh, heaven or something because I'm having problems with booking. I... Um, they, they shut me down because uh, I don't know why I cannot read English. I can read Sanskrit, I think, right. uh, but I cannot read English. And we're like, oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> so it was like, it's heaven. Yes, please come stay as much as you want. And it, it was great. Like we were right there and it was just that he hasn't been paid his uh, revenue share for a year. <laughs> what happened to that place after you did that, went there, did the picture, stayed there for how long did you stay there? Uh, we stayed there for like a week and a half. And what happened? What was the result? Uh, I mean, the result was, was fantastic. So first it was like contacting Booking and say, sorry, he hasn't paid his commission for a year. Uh, here is a check. <laughs> Taking pictures, uh, making sure that uh, the, one of the big thing also is usually uh, cancellation uh, rules. Right. Uh, because if you say, hey, you can cancel up to one month, uh, then people don't reserve. Uh, because they want something more flexible. So it was just like teaching them a little bit how to do, uh, taking the pictures. Uh, and the cool part is that after like few days, like the guy came like not crying, but almost he was like, oh my God, I have like a lot of reservation coming. And like, yeah, we told you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was just tweaking their mind that, okay, it's not like if just don't put the picture with your phone, it's not good. Uh, ask maybe travelers that come, but have like maybe more experience that have a nice camera to do it for you. And it's free. You can just ask them and you offer them a free meal or uh, an extra night or something. And the guy is, oh yeah, that's smart. I'll do that. So it was really fun. Uh, we had our first great experience. And so we started repeating it uh, again and again. And 
the, the truth is we've made friends more than like people were helping. Right. We were inviting to like family dinners. Uh, we were inviting to wedding um, in, in Vietnam in the middle of the mountains. Just amazing, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Like, because otherwise we would have been just two of us traveling. And, you know, when you're in couple, usually you don't try to mix and mingle too much. And we're, we're a bit shy. So, yeah, that was, a, that was fantastic. 12 countries and 14 hotels. Wow. So it, it, it almost sounds like that's the beginning of the social impact part of this, or maybe I'm just being too idealistic, right? But it feels to me like I love yeah. this, the ability or the power, this superpower to be able to help people mm-hmm. without kind of expecting a lot in return, right? And yet that joy on their face is yes. almost worth it alone, right? And the fact that he gave you a free place to stay, whatever, in a way, it wasn't, it was, it worked both ways, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, really in, in, in India, we're saving $3, you know, <laughs> per day. So it, was, it was not like saving us a lot of, lot of money, but it, it was what we wanted. We wanted to connect with, with locals. And I, I kind of hated my, my girlfriend before because she was working for Booking.com. And she's like, Did you just everybody, everybody at Booking.com? Yeah, because like Booking.com is so big that if you have a small hotel, you just put pictures and automatically you get customers. Right. So she's like, uh, there's such a, a monopoly uh, for, for that that that, that uh, brand that people were actually kind of calling, booking, say, hey, I want to be there. And I was like, yeah, I have to call my customer. I have to like spend months convincing them to join the platform. And, you know, and, and they were like, no, for us, like they come naturally. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. I was like, I actually, every time I go and see, she was like handling the big chains. And so like, like we were welcome. We we're invited to dinner. Uh, people wanted to uh, to see us and uh, and they were like, liking you know doing that and it's like because they bring so much value and i was like okay yeah then then it kind of started helping uh me in my transition but still since it was like the day-to-day uh i it didn't really connect i was loving what i was doing but right. it didn't really connect until i i take some time to breathe uh in the meditation center and it literally connects it's like i'm an entrepreneur i want to start a business and uh i love tech and, and, and the social part was not really clear that it was something I wanted to do, but I enjoyed it so much that naturally it mixes like, yeah, you have to use your skills to actually help uh, and do, do something. And that's one of the reasons why you were bored in your first company right. at the end, because it, it didn't have this impact that I was, I was looking for. Yeah, I think we're going to keep talking about impact. I want to understand why you started volunteering at a food bank. So you're already in Thailand, right, at this time. And I guess you had some other job, but you said, I have enough of that. But what made you go volunteer at a food bank? It came from a long time ago when my brother did it for a French association, and I, I was loving it. Uh, and I was like, oh, I want to do that. And, you know, you have your study, you have your work, and then you keep on postponing that. Uh, but you still have it in, in the back of your mind. And uh, COVID hit, and one of the big, big thing that was uh, presumed is that there would be unemployment, there would be people uh, starving, and you know there was this uh, generosity uh, wave in Thailand. Um, and this is the moment where I said, "Oh, they they need help. Let's go. Let's do it." Um, so I went there uh, and uh, and say, "Hey guys, do you need help? Uh, I can do whatever you want. You need, need me to distribute food? Okay, I'll distribute food. Uh, it's perfect. And so I, I started doing it. And then they're like, oh, but you're good at like online and marketing and stuff. Uh, can you help us do more? And I was like, okay, what's your problem? Uh, and they're like, yeah, um, we distribute like 4 million meals a year, but nobody knows about our action and, and we want to be more 
like, you know, uh, empowered by the people. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's my, my field marketing. I can help. Right. So, um, I, I helped the team build, um, a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, we're starting, uh, building a volunteering program for influencers. So we were inviting influencers that were talking about food. Uh, you know, usually they're happy and they go and show the restaurants and cool food. And I was like, yeah, but they might be super interested in talking about what's happening behind the curtain. Right. That people are starving, that supermarkets are throwing a lot of food and there's something like those those food banks are doing. And and actually, it like like uh, influencers start liking it and they had the audience that we needed. So it was like kind of a perfect match. So I started doing that and bringing some influencers. So it was really fun starting a newsletter. I mean, it was, it was really cool. Uh, and then I was realizing that it was the tip of the iceberg. Like when it comes to food waste in Thailand, they were doing this, a, a very nice thing, but they had uh, 50 donors and they were distributing 4 million meals. So it means that they're probably 1000 times this amount of waste that they cannot get, go and rescue, you know? Where were they sourcing their food? You said they had 50 donors, but is it just regular people or was it restaurants? Was it institutions, supermarkets? Where were they sourcing? So they're sourcing a lot from supermarkets, uh, sourcing a lot from hotels, buffet, sourcing from factories directly, from like a central kitchen. I think they work with NK restaurants, so they get a lot of vegetable from there. They need to recook it and then distribute it. Yeah, I mean, their action is amazing. They're, they started, I think, five years ago, and, and they're, they're starting to have a lot of traction. I mean, it's one of the most amazing uh, NGOs I've, I've met in Thailand. So really, really like their action. What's it called? It's called SOS, Thailand, Scholars of Sustenance. It's a lovely association. Yeah, and I really like like what they were doing. One of the things that for me as a businessman was missing is more of the sustainability. It's like, how do you like sustain yourself? Because they were not getting money from any association or any government, uh, nothing. Uh, it's all from private uh, donors. So it's like, yeah, but this is not a way to survive. So if tomorrow you don't have donations anymore. You're done. You, you're done and uh, the, the millions of people you're helping is, is not working. So we have to find a sustainable way to to finance you. And this is when I started to like look around what was happening in Europe, what was happening in the US. And uh, I found those great initiatives uh, that actually uh, could be a way to finance those charities um, of selling uh, surplus food. And then a part of that uh, money could go to local charities. And I was like, yeah, that's it. It's a cool way. And we're starting to uh, to look. And with one of my Thai friend, we were like, well, we could actually build a cool rescue app. It's just a WordPress website. <laughs> let's, let's do it. And he was like, okay, let's do it. And in one month, we build the, the website and Yindi was born. <laughs> Is there an app, like, is it more institutionalized now? Is there an app that's associated with this? Or if I go to, what is it, yindi, Y-I-N-D-I-I dot C-O, like, what do, I, what do I get? And what is it actually doing now? So Yindi is, um, is a food rescue app. Uh, so it's a marketplace where we connect food merchants, uh, restaurants, hotels, supermarket, bakeries, that have extra food at the end of the day, um, high quality food, still delicious, but there is a timing that when, when they close, some, some of that food, even like good, needs to go to the trash because they are not going to wait tomorrow to be sold. So we are connecting it to consumers that would be willing to rescue it at discounted prices. So we're talking about box of bakeries at the end of the day from your favorite bakery. It's like, yeah, you get 50% off. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll take it. I'll do that. 
Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, it's a good way to save money for them and a good way to eat well. Uh, we have a, a almost like twenty like vegan and healthy restaurants. So it's very high quality food um, that you can that you can find on Indie. And then the the sauce started to take. We started with like two restaurants and forty. Uh, I said forty customer, but it was forty friends. <laughs> and <laughs> And we launched the app in October and uh, when February and uh, no, in March now, and we have 7,000 users and 70 uh, stores. Uh, we have brands that I was like not even imagining to have. So yeah, this is amazing. We have Aqua Hotel joining, Marriott Hotel, Mandarin Oriental, uh, which is one of the most like famous bakery in, uh, in Bangkok. Uh, we have... Taibev, which is one of the best, biggest conglomerate in Thailand that is joining Yindi. Um, so we are starting something bigger than ourselves, uh, literally, because we really, really started as a, yeah, let's do it. And, <laughs> but that, that's amazing, like literally, because we're seeing that this, this new business model of you're not only doing it for the money, but the money is kind of the incentive to change people's mind. Like uh, restaurants get extra revenue, consumers save money. But the, the fact that it's, it's, it's a social impact company, like we're trying to reduce waste, which is a terrible for the planet. And people get more motivated to stay with you, to like you, to share on their uh, social media about your action that we haven't spent yet any, any uh, bat in advertising, nothing. We're just like, no, it's going to be word of mouth and we don't want to grow bigger because we're still on WordPress. It's still glitchy, to be honest. So it's like, no, no, no. Let's let's keep it low, and and people keep on sharing, keep on sharing. So it was. It, it's an exciting adventure. Are you making money as well? In other words, are you getting paid to do this at some level? Yes. I mean, we're, we're, it's a revenue sharing model, which is it works because if we don't sell, like they don't have to pay anything. So we take um, a, a success fee on if we can sell the the product for them. I mean, for them, it's a, it's a super win because like, like if you're a buffet, usually you throw away the food after if you're a bakery. Terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. terrible. Uh, so for them, it's a loss. And the bigger you get, the more cost you have there. Sure. So if you're a supermarket, you have like destruction costs. So it really literally costs you money to throw away food. And, and the way our system works is, uh, I think is very bad, like in the sense that supermarket have rules uh when so when you if you want to sell to a supermarket you have a consignment rule which means that if you don't sell uh if the supermarket don't sell it they will send it you back i want to understand this i want to make this clear to people so you're telling me if i'm an apple grower yep i give my fruit to the supermarket and if they don't sell it i don't get paid yeah, exactly. So, so they're not taking inventory risk. I'm taking inventory. So I take all the I take all the planting risk. I take all the cultivation yeah. risk. I take all the harvesting risk. And I yes. still have to take sales risk. Is that true for all or just for some? Like, how does that work? Because that sounds terrible. So, so, as well. so, so it's it's even worse. Even it's worse not even than that. Like, yeah. So you okay. you get the the economical pressure because if they don't sell it, uh, you're not getting paid. Right. But you're also getting the food waste pressure because few days, weeks, or even months before your products get expired, they will send you back the product. So <laughs> think about um, a provider that would import product from, like I have some friends doing that, right. uh, brands on, my, on, on the platform that are doing that, um, they import expensive product. And three months before, like they're returning and say, hey, um, you get 10% back of your inventory 
and we take a hundred percent of new ones with new dates so okay. we can sell to our customers expiration dates so what do you do with exactly. that stuff in other words can you work with those importers and those high quality brands put them on yindi and then i can buy it yeah exactly so who wouldn't do that i mean everybody's interested in doing that that's why we're growing so fast <laughs> and we're selling like stuff at the beginning we're like okay we'll add hotels and and bakeries and then we have like B2B brands like Pinnacle Gastro, and we're selling like high quality water, Perrier. Uh, so you can buy Perrier for months <laughs> on our platform at like 60% off. So if you like Perrier, then go ahead and we deliver you for free. Uh, I mean, this is so cool. I wanted to ask you that too. Am I picking up the product or you do you have a logistics angle to this as well, where you actually deliver the product to me, whether I'm an individual or another yeah. restaurant that wants to buy sort of non-used food yet yeah so you can we offer pickup and delivery um but let's go back if you want so the experience is very easy because we're kind of copying the ux of a food delivery company so you actually geolocate yourself and you can see uh restaurants and bakery around you or partners uh, and offers and you say okay there's this veganery or broccoli revolution i'm vegans perfect i love this restaurant right and they will upload a, a certain quantity of what we call a, a yindi box or a surprise box made of the unsold inventory of the day and so you said oh they have a vegan bakery and uh i i, I love it or so i want to try and you know that the happy hour it's i don't know 6 p.m to 8 p.m uh, you can reserve, pay online, choose if you prefer to pick up in the store or get delivered. And that's it. You're a food fighters. <laughs> you actually uh, help the local restaurant finish their stock and you get rewarded by amazing food at discounted prices. Um, so this is how the mechanism work. Um, so we, I believe that we're becoming the kind of an alternative to food delivery. Uh, one of my customers told me that last month and I was like, yeah, it's true. She's like, I actually look up on Yindi first before ordering on Food Panda. And if, uh, if you have something I like, like a Poke Bowl or pizza, I'll book, I'll book it. And if you don't have, then I'll go on Food, food Panda. I mean, fair. Um, because we have like bigger deals, but at the same time, we don't have the inventory that Food Panda has yet. Not yet though, right? <laughs> and we're very limited quantity. So, um, this is also the kind of thing where, you might go on the platform and see sold out, sold out, sold out. Yeah. So this is the the the, the thing. We're never going to sold a hundred meals from the restaurants because we're selling their surplus. Uh, but for them, it's also a smart way to say, hey, yeah, every day I have like little inventory that I want to get rid of. So let's do happy hour on Indy and, and, and let's try to get maybe new customer or finish the stock. And since it's a surprise box, it makes the whole operation so simple because we can sell it in advance and they can prepare it last minute. So for them, in terms of operation, it becomes what, what was becoming a nightmare, uh, like for a supermarket to send it back to the provider, pay for delivery cost back, annoying the provider uh, with extra stock and so on. With like, no, now you put it in the bag and, and you're done. So <laughs> that works very well. So how long has the app been active? To be honest, I mean, it's still not an app. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It's still our, I mean, our first thing, but yeah, it's an app, so it's available on on on, um, on the app store. Apple so I'm store it right now, so and, I know it's there. Yeah, Android. Yeah, yeah. Last uh, October. Okay. And the new version will be alive in the upcoming uh, weeks, months. We'll see. And how how <laughs> fast are you growing? I mean, it's literally insane. 
<laughs> do you want to just hang up the phone right now or get <laughs> yeah, back yeah, to work? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so we, we've just doubled our user base last month uh, to like 7,000 users. Uh, so it's, it was pretty uh, amazing. Uh, we're on a month to month growing by 20% in terms of food providers. Now we even have like people that heard about us because we were published on uh, social media or on newspaper. Uh, so we getting like every week three or four brands that are like, hey, I want to be on Indie. I want to be sustainable. I want to do my part. I want to save the planet. So like, okay, perfect. <laughs> I want to reduce waste. So um, before we had to call a lot to get meetings and, and meet people and convince them. So we started and it took me maybe a month to get like 10 brands to join. And I was right. alone, literally. And now I have some uh, volunteers, like it's literally volunteers, people that love the initiative and say, hey, I'm using Indie. Do you need help? Because I see like, uh, I could help with like finding new uh, maybe hotels because I come from the hotel industry or I've, I'm actually selling bread to like bakeries. So I know a lot of bakeries. Can I like spread the word for you? I'm like, yes, of course, please do it. <laughs> Can you scale fast enough? Are you running into scalability problems or have you basically solved those problems for now? And, and, and I guess the other question is, this is just in Bangkok, yeah? Yes, yes. We started in Bangkok. We're still in Bangkok. I mean, the market is huge here. The scalability part is obviously a challenge because we're still a small company. So we are looking for angels to help us grow, both in terms of funds, but also in terms of mentoring to, to be able to manage this, this scaling. Uh, because when you go from like literally um, uh, 40 users to 7,000 in four months, it's, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge, but it's a good challenge to have, to be honest. So we're, I mean, we're, we're good. We have a tech guy that is, that has like four, 15 years of experience in tech. So we're building a proper app, a proper backend. So the idea is to be able to grow in, in Thailand by the end of the year, uh, and even start a new country in Southeast Asia. I think the problem of food waste is obviously it's Bangkok because it's where you have a lot of uh, consumption. Like sure. it's. Uh, 10 million people. Uh, so there's a lot of waste here. I think it's a whole uh, Southeast Asia that is way, way late compared to Europe and the US. I don't know if you know, but for example, China just waged war on food waste because they're considering that they are such a level of food waste that is jeopardizing their strength as a country. Because if you start throwing away so much of your own food, then you need to import uh, and you're losing on the global scale. So they're like, no, food waste is a strategic topic. We need to reduce less of the food that we throw away at a local level because otherwise we will be more dependent on other countries. It's very interesting how it becomes like politics. <laughs> what at the beginning is just, um, yeah. It's just so important on so many levels, right? There are environmental reasons to do this. There are sustainability, meaning just country sustainability reasons to do it. Mm -hmm. There are economic reasons. There are political reasons. They're just there's an unending number of reasons yeah. for, for doing this, right? So are you in the process of raising money? Are you doing that officially or are you just doing it kind of under the radar? No, it's official. Okay. <laughs> it's official. We're doing it. Uh, we're meeting a lot of uh, uh, private investors, angels, VC. So we hope to find the right uh, partners in the coming weeks or months. Okay. It's been proven. I mean, our job was literally to to demonstrate that there were uh, traction uh, and we've demonstrated there's oh, interest no. from most of the major supermarkets that have actually done very little when it comes to waste. Um, so 
they are uh, willing to join. Uh, I think the sustainability, there's like human reason to join like an association like SOS, uh, but there's like a sustainable uh, wave that is arriving in Thailand, uh, especially after COVID. You, you cannot turn a blind eye on that. You need to act now when it comes to people starving, when it comes to the planet dying. And food waste is literally one of the field where if you do a little effort, you can have a huge impact. I'm going to give you a comparison. Uh, food waste is between 8 to 10% of the greenhouse gas emission produced around the world. Okay, So as a human impact, 10% comes from food waste. Um, it's four times the impact of the airline industry. So to shut down the whole airline industry, you need a COVID, which is once in a century, you know. <laughs> but this has a tremendous impact on our planet, uh, positive, like the, the, the shutdown of the airline industry. But you and me, we know that when, when, when tourism will come back, it will may not be as strong as it was before, but it will it will probably come back to that level in the coming century or decades, even decades sure. like, yeah. Sure. So food waste is something that we can do something about. But for it to work, we need to change people's mind about food waste. The first thing I realized when I came in uh, to talk about this topic is I don't want to hear about it. Food waste is dirty. Food waste is, is like you don't want to talk about it because it looks terrible so if i if i was coming to a, a bakery and say hey i, I started literally doing that huh so you, uh, it's a lean startup model like you learn by by failing i was there and say hey do you have food waste <laughs> and they were like no never why, why do you why do you talk about that no no never i'm, I'm a good manager like zero waste i sell everything and so i was like okay but like normally you're a bakery like bakery they have like they usually throw it's like no i'm really good really good <laughs> and I was coming at the end of the day and I was like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't lie to me. You're closing in 10 minutes. And I see, and so I see much. a ton of food there. Look, there's a bakery yeah. in Courtier right up on the fourth floor. I forget what it's called. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I know they're giving away food because I've taken it for free. They may as well sell exactly. it to you. I know that for a fact. I want to ask you this though. Are there issues about foreigners like building companies in not just in Thailand, but in the whole region. I'd love to understand your corporate setup. Do you have a Singapore company? Do you have a Thai company with a BOI license? Like how does all that work? Yes. So uh, it was a, a, a bit of a challenge here because you have this rule of uh, you need a, a Thai co-founder uh, to be able to build a company that owns 51% of the company. Uh, but luckily for me, I had a Thai co-founder. So extremely lucky, and he was, uh, and he's, he's French and Thai, which is literally helping a lot for understanding each other. Um, so that was kind of perfect. Um, but we decided to go with a specific tool that the Thai government built called Smart Visa. Perfect for me. So we could build a company even with a, like just with a, a deck, like a pitch deck. And they were giving me a visa for one year and I just extended for two years to start up my company. And it was like, amazing. Uh, we have a legal way of starting a business. 
And now they also have a thing called BOI, Board of Investment. So if uh, you need to hire, for example, a lot of expatriate because you cannot find the knowledge that you need here and you can't, you're, you don't have a quota. Here is a quota for, of one, one farong, very local, one expatriate for, for locals. You don't even have it. So in our case, we need local knowledge. So we're not going to probably not going to do BOI, but it's even another way of doing it. If you want to keep 100% of your ownership. In, in Thailand. So there's really good ways uh, for foreigners to start business in Thailand, especially especially in the, in the tech. That was a really good tool. And the second tip that I had was, dude, you're French. <laughs> there's a huge French community. Try to see who can help you. And um, we've been like helped a lot by the French community. Uh, so I was very, very lucky. So there's a French Thai uh, Chamber of Commerce and the French tech community. Uh, I find a lot of friends that are now mentors helping me. I was like, oh, I was like, I've never raised funds, so I don't know how it works. And it was like, okay, come on, I'm gonna explain you how I did it, how you should do it. For me, this is this is gold, you know, because uh, you're alone in a country where you you hardly know the culture, you don't speak the language. Uh, it's very very difficult. So I relied a lot on that uh, community, and and literally they've given me so much. When I'm settled and when the company works, I want to do the same. I want to help others that maybe want to build a company here and have difficulty. Yeah, I, I want to give back. What is the best way for people to contact you? If A, they're interested in helping you out, B, they're interested in funding you, or C, they're interested in participating on the platform as a supplier, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? I mean, I'm a very accessible guy, so you can find my phone number on Yindi website. You can find me on LinkedIn, so you can talk to me directly. I have a lot of customer, like, you know, users calling me, saying, hey, your app, like this, I have a problem with your app. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no problem, man. I take 10 minutes or 15 minutes to explain fix that. It, yeah. <laughs> um, this is very important for me to know what my, my, my users are, are going through. But yeah, I'm, I'm very accessible. Um, so you can find my email on, on, on my website, yindi.co, okay. Y-I-N-D-I-I. Got it. Okay, I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes as well. Okay, Louis, I'm going to let you go. Louis Aban, Bertard Dupre, a food waste fighter and the founder of Yindi. You're laughing at me again, but I think I did it okay, actually. I, you, you did it very well. I really like it. I think I did it. It sounds, okay. it sounds fancy because in French, I'm used to French. I was like, not that fancy. <laughs> the accent's not cool. Okay, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Michael, for shading the light on, on social innovation. I think it's the world needs uh, more entrepreneurs uh, doing things for the right reason and not just for the money. So we hope also to be, when we start companies like that, we hope to become role models uh, that can inspire other. I got inspired by other social entrepreneurs. So I like, congratulations on what you're doing. Thank you very much.